What would the world look like if decisions were made by the people for the people? Dow or Never is here to break down how DAOs are disrupting traditional power structures and transforming the way we interact. If you're ready, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to Dow or Never. This is the show to help you learn about the rapidly evolving world of DAOs from leaders and innovators in the Web3 world. I'm Isaac Patka, co-summoner of the Logos DAO, and I'm here with Yaler Moon, Chief Vibes Cultivator at the Logos DAO. Today we're joined by Tracheopteryx, co-founder of Coordinate. Trach has also contributed to Yearn Finance. In describing the current state of DAOs, he says that we are sovereign beings responsible for our own actions in a global network where we can connect with nearly anyone built on a profoundly secure foundation. So just to kick off, Trach, uh, what are your current thoughts about the, the development of the DAO space? Where are we? What do we need to be building? What shouldn't we be building? Uh, anything about what, you're, what are you thinking about these days? Yeah, man. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I think after being in, you know, in the trenches for a long time and you know, building governance systems and working with people directly and trying to understand compensation with Coordinate and doing a lot of hands-on work, I was kind of called to step back and look at it from some different perspectives. And I realized a lot of the stuff that we made works in some ways and it doesn't work in others. And there's a lot of pretty well-known problems in DeFi and in DAOs and and all this stuff. And so, you know, with the change in the market, with the change in the environment, it was kind of a good time for me and also personally to pull back and try and look from some other perspectives. So I've been reading a lot and kind of going into my own weird uh, hermit universe. And, you know, the things I've been thinking about are, I mean, thinking about reputation a lot. You know, I like to think about reputation as kind of like the blood vessels in the organism, you know, the if the blood is the fuel or the money, you know, the, the structures that that type of energy can flow through is a kind of reputation. Uh, it's a way for a culture to create uh, markers, you know, that we can use to do better distribution, to move in more interesting ways. And so thinking about that and thinking deeply just about sovereignty and what that really means. And, you know, one of the things that I really realized working at Yearn and developing governance for Yearn and then in Coordinate is that the this space and really the world is full of all different types of people coming from all different perspectives with different skills in different fundamental worldviews. And one system of governance may work for one group and not another. And, you know, how can we think about and very much in a spiral dynamics way, which, you know, is a is a rabbit hole creating a governance structure that can hold all these different viewpoints and people securely and effectively. What are some of the things that we need to do to make sure that all of those worldviews are are like represented in these in these systems? What do we as maybe uh, I'm like a you know, solidity developer and like maybe I won't always understand the, like the the social and societal impact of maybe just one whether I include a function in a DAO smart contract or not. Have you do you have any have you seen any like examples of like maybe unintended consequences of naive or well-intentioned design? Absolutely actually. So in one of the compensation systems that we designed at Yearn for internal use, in my view it was designed in an adversarial mindset, which you know makes sense like uh, groups like Yearn they're dealing uh, with highly adversarial communities all the time and and that's a lot of what blockchain does you know it's it's designed to function in the dark forest to allow for monsters to come from the deep and do whatever they want and still your 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 coins are safe but the interesting thing is that um you know human beings that are working in close groups don't generally work in adversarial ways we work in really um, generous ways 
And when you, when you introduce a tool that's designed for an adversarial worldview to a community of people that are working in a non-adversarial way, it causes unintended problems. It starts to make people contract. It starts to make people fight, to not see each other's perspective, to act in ways that are more in a scarcity mindset or more, let me get mine and you know, I don't trust you. And it starts to erode trust. Yeller, you and I, I think we've had some discussions about like times where you've seen like a very generous community come together, but then there's kind of like one person that's behaving adversarially and stuff. And it's like, it creates this really weird, really weird culture. I'm curious, like what, what you've seen in your vast experience as a Taoist. Yeah, this is really interesting and relevant to me because like when I first started using Coordinate, I found it to be this incredible tool that I was like, oh, cool, this is great. We can like see what the value of all the contributions are judged by the community of contributors. And then I started to realize um, when there wasn't the proper training and onboarding for folks who were coming into that system and using it, it was like, it felt like a random smattering where it's like uh, five for you, five for you, five for you, 10 for you. Like, oh, we'll give everyone some points. And it kind of became down to this thing where it's like everyone gets a trophy, right? Like, here you go. And I've even seen it specifically inside of one of the investment DAOs that I contribute to. It's like, you know, one contributor drove really hard through, you know, Q2 and was able to like bring this great deal together and, and, and get a huge upside for the DAO. But because of the time lapse between like Q2 and Q3 and how people kind of forgot what was happened, what had happened or all that work that went into it. Still just the folks who are like uh, doing operations and organization were the ones that got the most points, even though monetarily like that person specifically was the one that drove the most value into the DAO during that period. And to, to not efficiently surface these things or like communicate effectively, like what the value is from all of those contributions in a less subjective, but more of like an analytical way is one major kind of like issue that we have to overcome and that we can overcome as a group through more like discussions, more communication. So it tells me that like the tools can work, but we also need to enhance the tools with better communication, with better structures, with better, you know, sitting around the circle, having a conversation, talking about things that feel nice like contribution versus things that feel challenging like who gets more who gets less in these different periods before coordinate there were quite a few instances not a lot but some instances where um, a very adversarial character came into one of the DAOs, one or multiple of the DAOs that i was contributing to and started to erode the foundations of trust in those DAOs and inside of these DAOs that I contribute to, it's like there's a really high trust network. These are people who I could have a beer with, you know, who I would I would fly out and hang out with them or like work on stuff together, who people I would consider friends, right? Not just colleagues or random internet strangers, even though I might not meet them for years. And a single individual who's eroding trust and able to come into all these meetings and all these calls and collect information and then deploy it in a different avenue can be really kind of challenging for folks to get over unless you're like, hey, let's look at this behavior. Let's have an open and honest conversation. And then the person that you're dealing with is met with reasonable, you know, fact-based kind of exploration of like, hey, so this behavior is something we don't really support inside this community, but we're willing to work with you to, you know, find better ways of coordinating and communicating. And if that's not met, with the right kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? 
diplomacy, it can be really challenging. It can cause a divide in the community. But if the community is strong enough, it can come through that and you can weed out people who are not aligned with the culture of that community. But that's why culture inside of DAOs is one of the most important things and one of the things that I want to spend more time on. Yeah, uh, I think that there, I've had some interesting discussions with some folks at like um, at Protocol Guild um, and that are experimenting with like com very different forms of, of compensation. But at first, just to zoom out, uh, Trey, I was wondering, could we just like for people that aren't familiar, like how would you how would you how do you describe the co the coordinate compensation system um, that we're that we're referring to in in DAOs? So yeah, happy to answer that and talk about coordinate. But first, I wanted to respond to interesting stuff that Yaler was bringing up. You know, those conversations are kind of essential for uh, communities and organizations and work groups to to have. And you know, going back to the example I gave previously of the adversarial tool within Yearn, you know, there were good reasons to make it that way. You know, just giving credit to some of the designers there, we had some issues around offboarding and you know accountability around work and budgeting. And when you have that stuff and there's money flowing, sometimes you really, and you don't have the right tools to handle some of this, stuff happens like that. And in uh, that, you know, a tool that doesn't serve part of the community in one way, something that's adversarial for a trusted group. But what it revealed was that a lot of that trust was kind of eroding anyways, because we didn't have certain tools in place. And you know, there's lots of trust to go around in these groups as well. But this stuff is kind of nuanced and it's hard to do a lot of this stuff in new ways, right? Without having really intimate conversations and having people really be able to be on the same page. And when lots of money are flowing, then um, it's even harder. So to the question about Coordinate, yeah, Coordinate was you know, designed uh, to do small grants, basically. It came out of you know the early days at Yearn when we wanted to share the resources that Yearn was creating with the community of people building things in support of Yearn. And it was, you know, processes are fairly centralized. There's a few people or one person that decides in the grant, or you have coin voting for the grant. And we wanted to do something that was faster than coin voting and made more sense for our community, but also wasn't centralized by some committee or group of people. And so with Coordinate, you can have a, a, any number of people in a group and the, every period, let's say a month, uh, they do this gifting process where each person has some number of tokens. We call them give tokens. They're not ERC tokens. They're like poker chips. And they give them to each other based on how much value each person is making. And then uh, at the end of that period, the chips are counted up. And that's basically how the budget is divided for that period. And there's lots of ways you can change that or add things around. But that's the basic idea. And that beyond just grants that works for certain types of compensation. Yeah, and it also doesn't work for some types of compensation that well. And so, you know, Coordinate's building out other additional kind of strategies that can fold into that to do all the different types of compensation that are needed. Nice. Yeah, I know that we, we've used it in quite a few communities that I'm in, and I've, I've seen it. There's just been some interesting behaviors that emerge um, around, like, how often we do these distributions, and can you actually remember what, what people were doing, and everyone like like any group scenario there's a deadline it's like everyone get your get your compensations in and i'm sure somebody's going in at the last minute and uh and just filling it out with their best guess but even with just using its best guess i've seen so much interesting 
data emerge from just being able, like the graph view that coordinate provides like that's actually one of my favorite things to show people when they're asking like how does how does compensation work in DAOs? What does it feel like to work in a DAO? A lot of the time, one of the first things that I show them is I pull up my coordinate and I say, these are the communities I'm in. This is how I'm interacting with the other people in the community. And just showing them when there's like a hot spot where it's like, wow, this person must be adding a lot of value. Or maybe this person is like a really good at promoting themselves. Like, I don't necessarily see coordinate needing to be like a perfect compensation tool just because like the graph information that it provides makes it so that I can also detect why is there this island? Why is there this one person off on their own where maybe only one or two people are giving give tokens to them, but I know that they've contributed more. And so to me, it's like, it's not just a tool for compensation, but it's a tool for the organization to see how people are communicating and if there needs to be any sort of additional uh, additional like feedback loops or things created. I don't think it's intended to be like a, a perfect compensation tool or it doesn't have to be. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually this is a kind of great an interesting example we can dive into to talk a little bit about some of these different kind of worldview developmental stuff. So stepping back for a second, like taking a, you know, the kind of integral theory approach, which comes from a lot of developmental research, or going to like Howard Gardner's multiple intelligences, or all of these different views on human development, like each of us has different lines that we develop along cognitive intelligence, uh, kinesthetic intelligence, musical intelligence, uh, spiritual intelligence, moral intelligence. And some of them are more developed than others. There's some group of kind of intelligence around resource sharing, right? Around money, financial intelligence, let's say. And I don't mean like you understand what a put option is, but like you have, you know, an ability to share with others and not get super triggered. And to some extent that you see the kind of bigger view, let's say, of, of money and have the capacity to allow it to flow. So knowing that there's people that are all at different levels of this growth. And as soon as you start saying that, people start getting triggered because it creates a hierarchy. Like, oh, you know, you're now you're saying that some people are better than others. It's not better than others. It's like just acknowledging that people are at different levels in some ways. And it's a big spectrum and it's hard to nail down. Just like as a child, you know, doesn't have the same physical intelligence as an adult. That's non-controversial. And development continues through all of life. And we get to develop in lots of different ways and our development gets stunted in lots of different ways, right? So now let's say we've got this heterogeneous environment of human beings with different levels of, let's say, moral financial intelligence. One type of compensation tool will work well for some people at certain levels of development and then others at others. Like, like let's just take kids and adults together. Like, let's say you wanted to create a compensation environment where children and adults are gonna get compensated fairly and the adults like can't take advantage of the children. Like that's an interesting tool to try and make. Children are going to be uh, have different criteria for a successful compensation regime than an adult, and it's no less valid because they're a child. Like what's important to them? You know, maybe they don't care about like you know IRA fund. They want four marshmallows right now. Like that's the compensation that they want. Like the community needs to be able to provide that for them. And then other people are going to want, uh, you know, something different. And this is a super challenging place. If we make it a little bit more, you know, clear for our communities, like some people uh, in a coordinate setting will start to collude, right? Because they'll see, they'll look at the coordinate circle and they'll say, oh, I know how this game works. I'm going to get my three friends to give me some more money. And I'm not going to give to this person in a tit for tat way because I don't like the way they treated me or whatever, they'll start to play games like this because that's what their worldview around money is like. 
And other people that, let's say, have worked through more of those issues and had experienced more abundance in their life, and maybe they're just older, will be uh, take a different perspective and be like, okay, you know, we've had our problems, but you know what? Let me look at the rules and of this. Like, oh, it's how much value did you create? A lot. This person created a lot of value. Let me give them some tokens. And this person didn't. I'm going to do my best and not try and game the system. Just put my input in because that'll work better for everybody. And now you've got all these different actors in the space. So like Coordinate is going to work better for the latter kind of actor. And it does have some protections against the former kind of adversarial gaming because, like you said, in the graph view, you can kind of see this stuff. But what it really has made clear to us and the Coordinate team is that you need different strategies and that different communities are going to want different compensation strategies for, for different things. And the challenge is to really figure out how to, uh, you know, how to provide those in a way that they can work together. One of the examples of a of something that I thought worked well until I actually saw kind of a crisis emerge was the system where everybody in the DAO at least got some sort of like baseline, like needs level compensation that was just universal. It was like a, a UBI for everybody just so that like people weren't competing on a different game where it's like uh, some people are using the system to pay their rent and some people are using the system to get a little bit of supplemental income so they can buy a couple extra NFTs. But also, like, when we're trying to think about, like, what does it mean to make sure that everybody's needs are met, somebody's still having that analysis of, like, what everybody's basic needs are. Do you, do you have any thoughts on, like, how do, how do you decide on what a community needs versus what an individual wants? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? You can look at cost of living and, you know, geographically differences in different places. But then even when you start, that's kind of where UBI kind of starts in some ways. But then even when you do that, you have to start thinking, well... Well, people decide where to live and you can move to a cheaper place or a more expensive place. Is that fair? Like their skills are really valuable. And like if we're in this global community or we're on this like, you know, Web3 space and like you live in Uganda and I live in San Francisco, but we're both, you know, equally talented developers. Like, does that make sense? Like, it's not clear to me. I, I don't really know. I think you know, some of the things that we've tried is like within Coordinate for the Coordinate team doing a kind of UBI compensation scheme where part of the compensation, everybody gets a base compensation and there's additional compensation on top of that. And that base compensation is based on a kind of UBI idea for, you know, the most expensive city we could think of, you know. So like everybody would get paid at the same expensive city level, but not to like live in a luxury house, to be safe and to have food, uh, you know, in, in that kind of environment. And then on top of that, you know, the prop, the money could be split in other ways. But um, I don't know. What do you think? Have you guys thought about this one? Uh, I have some thoughts, but also Yeller, as somebody, yeah, yeah, you're like probably the mo person that's experimented with the most different forms of DAO compensation and stuff. What are, what are your thoughts? I was going to say, this is like very relevant to my reality for the past like five years, because I am a person who like is repelled by consistency almost. <laughs> I like the ability to go up and go down and like kind of like roll with what's coming in based on the amount of work that I'm doing or the amount of projects that I'm taking on. And it's been really interesting process all across like contributions in the ecosystem from like getting giant airdrops, right? For being an early Uniswap user or an ENS user and being like, whoa, that's cool. That's like, if I live reasonably, I could probably live for a year on that. And then like working on projects where you make like $5,000 a month or something like that. And the interesting thing is that what I find, especially like in Raid Guild, it tends to go to the Western standard average. So it's like 
no matter where you're from, you know, Bangladesh, Nigeria, uh, San Francisco, or London, we tend to go like, what are the Western rates for development? Okay, our teams in Raid Guild, no matter where they're from, if they have the de developer chops to do that, get that Western standard rate, which kind of creates this strange, like, first world ability where it's like okay, only if you can pay at the first world rates can you get be the best developers from around from everywhere which is good for the developers but maybe hard or challenging for teams that are actually trying to boot up in third world places so it's an interesting kind of thing to explore where it's like what do we need right as an individual as a contributor what are our needs you may live in new york city and have a you know, be on top of a sky rise and that's the apartment that you have. And it's way more than my apartment that's like in Arizona or something like that. But interestingly enough, those once again, circle back to conversations, right? Within the team to like transparency around compensation and equity in organizations. The equity situation has been one that I've been exploring for the past like three years, at least where it's like, I delay compensation now, right? A paycheck to get equity in a thing later. And for me, that really works because I like to see my energy investments grow over time and to see the things that I'm contributing to grow and scale up and become more valuable. Like it is more valuable to me over the long run. Now I have to sacrifice some income now to take that on, right? To be able to pay rent, buy food and do all these things. But it's also kind of a forced function savings for me where it's like, if I take equity in these things, I'm not cashing out on the biggest paycheck I can right now, but I have a piece of the ownership of that project or a piece of the ownership of that organization. And that's a model that works for me. That's a model that aligns my interest for the long term, And it actually connects me to people and projects that I'm gonna wanna work on for a long time. And I think to your point, Trake, talking about the different levels of like value intelligence, where it's like, how is your value viewed? Do you view your time as something that you are selling to the highest bidder? Or do you view your time as this sacred resource that is very limited? We only have so much of it. And like your quality of life, right? Whether it's from where you live to what you're doing and who you're working with, how important are those things? And when you're dealing with one system, you kind of see where those things flesh out and where people are interested. There's a big difference between employee mind states and founder mind states. And in DAOs, you get this opportunity for everyone to become a founder, but then what does that look like, right? How is that system structured in a transparent and really easy to digest way? I think we're still exploring that. And it's just been fascinating for me to, to contribute to these things and see the value kind of come in. And I would say the highest value for me personally as a contributor across the ecosystem is reputation. Like I now know five years later that I, I can't just work on a project that's going to pay me a bunch of money because A, it doesn't align with my values and B, it's like I'm selling my brand to the highest bidder and your brand, which is your reputation, is something that you really need to cherish and you really need to take care of so that people know you're going to make the right decisions no matter what the monetary outcome are. I think that, that the discussion on reputation is really interesting that we should dive in there just because like, because that's a cost. It's a not a monetary cost, but it's maybe to use a word from the, I don't know, the, that we've been talking about this summer, it's an institutional cost where it's, you're not 
you're not necessarily giving up anything monetarily because perhaps you're getting you're getting paid, but you're paying in something. And maybe what what you're paying in is something that's you know it's a non liquid property, which is your reputation of what you're choosing to do. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with with Trake earlier around like um, how value flows through the reputation systems in these networks. So I'm curious, Trake, how are you seeing people try to represent a reputation versus allow reputation to just kind of emerge and be kind of like a, a background property? Um, do you have any feelings on some of the ways that people are trying to formalize and account for reputation in the same way that they're accounting for like traditional like compensation and time? Yeah, there's a lot here. I think um, that last piece, uh, you know, is interesting and has me thinking like, um, how people are accounting for reputation in the same way they've been accounting for compensation and time. Let's come back to that um, and first talk about just like what's going on with reputation. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that's happening in reputation is, you know, non-fungible, non-transferable tokens, soul-bound tokens, SBTs, some version of stuff like this, which are basically, you know, non-movable markers in a wallet that are going to mean something to somebody in some way. <laughs> and the idea, most of what we're seeing is like, oh, you know, you'll be able to show how many dework tasks you've completed, or you'll be able to s get this, you know, campaign badge, you know, from Project Galaxy, you know, that shows, you know, how, how uh, your identity and how much um, cool stuff you've done. And in, in some ways, a lot of this stuff is all great, by the way. I love both those projects. And there's a lot of um, other stuff that's coming like this. And Coordinate's working on something like this, too. But so there's kind of a, a few assumptions there, like that um, that we're going to be able to make use of these. That, well, first, that these types of tokens, you know, will be, will be able to be made use of in some useful way later. And I think that still needs to be figured out. I don't, I don't see a lot of tools that are like, analyzing interpreting reputation yet but that stuff will come but i think there's some there's some big problems like the um the decentralized society paper that a lot of people look to that talks about soulbound tokens from glenn wheel and um, a couple of other authors whose name well vitalik and i forget the lead author's name they talk a lot about you know how soulbound tokens will you know be able to create reputational systems and, and a lot of the stuff you can do with it but one of the biggest problems is how do you actually bind a token to a human soul and i and i for one like this mystical language around it so like we need an incantation that can bind a digital artifact to a human soul and we don't have that what we have is we have um chains like kyc right where you can you know use some centralized non really not trustable entity to uh authenticate that a human being then you know in this artifact or together but what we need is a is real magic we need a decentralized way to do this and there are some possible options there and part of the reason is, is to me it goes to the black mirror scenario where a lot of people talk about reputation as a dystopian future and if it is mediated by centralized authorities it will be dystopian absolutely because it'll only be able to rise to the uh the moral intelligence of that body It'll only be able to see as far as that body can see in whatever worldview that body inhabits. Everything else will get chopped down. So that's at least one way to look at it. Like the main complaint is like, oh, let's say I do something bad and I get blackmarked. Like maybe I default on a loan. And now this dystopian future, like I can never get the services. Like everybody looks at that and says, 
oh no, this is, you know, qualify for my cool thing. I only market my cool stuff to the coolest people with the best scores. And yeah, that type of thing I think will emerge from a system with poorly shaped regulatory centralized systems, you know, but that stuff, I think if we have a really decentralized market for reputation, then that stuff is really doesn't bother me as much. And the reason is, is because people are smart actually. And I know people that, you know, a few years ago, maybe defaulted on a loan, but what I would give a loan to today because people grow, you know, people change and they learn from their mistakes. Not always. Sometimes they make even worse mistakes since there are psychopaths there that, you know, will continue to exploit people over and over again. So there has to be some way to start to sort this stuff out. And, and my feeling is that, um, you know, in a pretty open reputational market where innovation is encouraged and allowed um, and not blocked, we'll build the tools that do this. Like you can imagine, I think unsecured loans are one of the main things that people look to when they think about reputation. And um, I mean, we have, you know, all, all these you know, Experian and whatever in the U.S. that do this stuff and they're garbage. But, you know, if you have an environment of decentralized reputation building and let's say you default on a loan, then you can't get the best loans anymore. But somebody is going to be smart enough to look out there at all these people that have defaulted on loans and run some code and some algorithms and be like, you know what, actually, I'm willing to take a bet on these people and offer them loans at this, you know, still pretty good rate. Because actually, from my understanding of them and using all this other data and looking at the different conferences that they've been to and their soulbound tokens and, you know, and the games that they're playing, whatever else, that actually this is a population to bet on. And so you don't get blacklisted because, you know, if you are growing, you know, and if you are, if you have the capacity, what we want is a reputational system that will actually dynamically respond to the capacity of the agents within it, then people will be smart enough to offer a financial service or other service to that population, unless it's overly regulated. I think there's quite a, there's quite a lot to unpack. Um, and in fact, uh, I, something that I want to definitely link to in the in the show notes is an essay from Philip Sheldrake from over the summer called Digital Identity is Not Human Identity and That Matters. And the main thing that he's, that he's highlighting in here is just that um, we have to be very cautious about creating our own dystopia when designing a decentralized identity and reputation system might create something just as bad as like the centralized Chinese social credit system that that people point to as like as like the dystopia. So th there's a few things that and I'll try to like bring up some some points that I learned from my discussion with Philip. But of course, we should probably have him on to discuss specifically. Uh, but some of these are like identity is different from identifiers. So your human identity is not something that we should ever have the ability to to track as a single civil resistant um, identifier on chain. I think that the entire concept of being able to uniquely identify people in these digital systems is a complete anti-pattern and something that will lead to the, the dystopia. Because, but providing identifiers maybe is not. The, the main reason I think this is just like, we need to always preserve the ability for people to exit a system that they think is unfair. This is kind of like the rage quit meme and, and Moloch and, and other DAOs in a, in a financial sense. But if people don't have the ability to opt out of a system, if they're opted in just by the nature of they're a human, therefore you need to have one of these identities on chain and you're always going to be collecting this stuff. It's I think it's by nature an unfair system that already people are not not able to consent to. So is there a, there's no resolution here because I think this is an ongoing, an ongoing uh, to me, crisis in, in the decentralized identity space. 
uh, are we actually creating uh, something that can't be controlled? Because like you said, people are smart enough to analyze this data in a very optimistic sense, look for the virtuous data in a sea of perhaps like both positive and negative signals. Um, But we can also see how the fact that we're building all of this out in the open means that maybe a centralized entity can use this data without our consent to do anything. So like, is the idea of tracking reputation potentially something that we shouldn't even try to do? Um, Yeah, that's fascinating territory. And so, so much to talk about there. So first, the identity versus identifiers. And I think that's absolutely right. Like, the way I imagine this needing to work is through some type of real privacy system like ZK or or some encryption where I'll just like lay out my model, um, which is that you have a single identity that is bound to a single human being that is completely private and controlled only by that human being. And then you spin out any number of avatars. But all these avatars are linked to that single storehouse of information. And then you can create an avatar that say, let's say I've been creating, I've been working uh, you know, with my normal work avatar, Tracheopteryx, and I've been accruing reputation there in different ways. And then uh, I want to do something else under a different name. I don't want to link to that personality. I can create a new blank avatar, but I can link it to that reputational storehouse and then through a ZK proof can prove, for instance, that you know I haven't defaulted on a loan or something else. But then the, all the entities that I'm interacting with are seeing this blank avatar. They can then start to accrue reputation in a different way. And some of my complete reputation I can make visible through this new avatar if I want, but I can't hide stuff. And there is some important pieces here. Like, like I can't, let's say, hide my loan defaults and then prove that I haven't. You know, uh, That stuff's all going to come through. Um, so you need some some system like this. I don't know what the best system is for this, but then you can create any number of these different identities. And to the problem of like you know, let's say centralized uh, centralized entities reading the reputational network. Great, yes, they should. If as long as people have control over what of their information they're putting into that publicly readable space, and if we make something that can't be controlled, great. <laughs> that's what we want. If we can make something that can be controlled, that's that's a problem. It's something this type of new network of reputation, like it's going to be. It's I mean, reputation is ever. It's much bigger than than finance. It's going to be. It's going to be giant. But yeah, I could just a lot. Of, I'm feeling a little afraid. There's so many ways I could go on this. Um, please tell me where to go. I have a quick question. I just wanted to ask you guys. Do you see a system where reputation and compensation come under one umbrella or do these feel like they need to be like totally separated out topics? I think they're really related, but they're not they're not the same. And actually, um, if you look at um, different anthropologists, uh, look at various indigenous communities and economic. First of all, like there's been so many different economies tried on this planet that it's really worth a lot to go and look at them. We're pretty overwhelmed generally with the, you know, modern modern way of doing things, but there's so many others. You know, communities where they'll have different types of economies working at the same time, like um, you know, it might have iron bars, which are only ceremonial and they're given only at weddings. And then you have shells, which are used to trade for commodities. And those economies might generally are not fungible with each other, only in like very bad circumstances. Um, so it's kind of the same, like reputation isn't the same as money. It's not fungible. And the ways in which you recruit reputation and modify reputation should be different from the ways that you do that with money. But in some cases, they might kind of blur. But like as an example, 
you know, this thing we're designing at Coordinate, we were thinking, oh, like we were sketching out some ideas. And like one thing was like, oh, maybe we'll have a system where you can stake, you know, tokens on a circle to prove your, um, you know, your membership. Like you want to join a circle and get money. Well, I'm going to stake, uh, you know, $10,000 worth of some token in order to participate in this circle. And if I, if I break the rules of this circle, then my, my stake will be slashed. You know, maybe, maybe that makes sense in some cases, but reputation kind of makes more sense in some ways, right? If we imagine we have a functional reputational system that people can leverage finances against, then what you're doing is if you break an agreement within a community, you've made a reputational mark, not a financial mark. And it's better to have that actually live in the native environment of that action, which is reputation, and have your reputation changed, knowing that um, that will probably impact your financial change. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a, a place that I think we have actually have to start further back. And I know that we, we've talked a lot about today about like zooming out and thinking about what, what we're actually designing for. And I think perhaps one of those things is like, are we designing for the rights of the individual? Or are we designing for the like efficiency of the of the collective? Because if we're designing for the individual, which we talk a lot about in DAOs, we would start with some sort of uh, invariant, which is like people always need to have the ability to opt out of this system. Or maybe the system needs to be opt-in by design. And we can't make it, and, and it would be bad if we're designing a system that people are just, by being born into this world that is going to have these tools that we're creating, do we want them to, by default, feel like they have to use this system? And maybe starting from that lens, because to me, I'm, I'm definitely more on the side of designing for the rights of the individual. Um, but there's been many, of course, attempts to build systems that design for the collective. I'm curious if that maybe is a spectrum that we can use to analyze like what features we we design into these systems um, and figuring out like what are the potential dystopian paths we need to avoid. Yeah, I think in the question of the individual versus the organization, I tend to take a kind of holarchy view Arthur Kessler's idea and that individuals and organizations are each holons and that we should be designing for holons. So, you know, a single actor might be an organization or it might be a single human being and the system needs to be able to support both of those. And I think like that's, that's in my mind often how we're going to create the greatest flex freedom and sovereignty is to see them in this way. I guess, uh, so <laughs> we've zoomed out quite far in this discussion, but to bring it back down to, to the ground level, because I think that one of the coolest things is like, I have discussions with a lot of folks who think about these things on a on a philosophical level, but then there's people that are actually created, like trying out these systems, not just LARPing them, but per, like messing around with how they how they eat and get their monthly income by actually experimenting with this stuff. And to me, like that's some of the coolest stuff that you guys are doing. And like, what are some of these experiments that, that you see coming up, like that you mentioned around like the soulbound tokens and stuff. Like, what are some of the tangible ways that people are going to actually start to be able to play with this stuff? Because I think that like retaining some sense of play here, that we're like, uh, if we don't retain any sense that we're like playing, will make it seem uh, so dire that I might just like, uh, you know, not get out of bed. Well, I think I don't think you have to worry about that. I mean, if if anything, our space is extremely playful. So, what are some of the things that are, well? You know, we've tried so much stuff within Coordinate, so many different compensation schemes and ideas. And and within Yearn, too, we tried a bunch of different things. But yeah, can you repeat your question? Like right now, anybody can kind of come and start playing around with Coordinate. But like, what are some of the other like uh, like systems that, are, that people are going to start being able to 
like that we could perhaps even experiment with within our own DAOs, uh, like some like, you know, I don't know, features that if you want to discuss any features or um, or just in general, anything kind of like tangible that we can that people can expect to start playing around with. Yeah, there's nothing I can announce right now from coordinate, but um, lots of different things in the works. So, yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer for that question. <laughs> no, no problem. I guess uh, as like a final wrapping thought, like anything that you want to just kind of leave people with around like, uh, you know, what what we need designed in the DAO space, any any like massive holes that you're seeing not not filled. Uh, you can also not have an answer for that. That's fine. But I'm curious if you like, uh, is there anything that's like, why aren't people building that? Or why are people building that? Yeah, well, I think the, the, the incantation that binds souls and digital artifacts, that decentralized system, I think is an essential one. I'd love to see that. And then, you know, tools that do things with reputation in interesting ways. Uh, maybe there are some out there, but... Um, beyond just like an unsecured credit line, I would love to see some cool stuff. And also, I think one important thing kind of related is, um, I think we really need um, a decentralized market of adjudication bodies. So this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but groups of people that can make decisions and have a record of making good decisions. So like in the United States, we have the Supreme Court, but it's like one group. Imagine, you know, that there are any number of Supreme Courts, a market of Supreme Courts, and different communities and projects can choose the one that they want to work with for their, you know, uh, conflicts. So there needs to be, like, coin voting has so many, like, decision-making is really not, uh, the tools aren't there yet. Like, coin voting is not good. And then beyond that, we need some type of trusted groups that can they can weigh in on things but the problem with those is that they centralize trust groups well they don't need to be like choose your own adventure um i'd like to see some more stuff like that happening we experimented at d webcamp with a form of sortition governance where we used a die to randomly pick like a committee of people from the population to make to to adjudicate and make decisions on behalf of the whole which had its own issues but it was fun to larp it for a couple days but yeah i think that some sort of maybe like sort sortition dao that uses people with a certain number of soulbound reputation tokens to pick a uh like a jury to uh, adjudicate things would be would be kind of interesting yeah totally so once there is a robust reputational market out there and there's a lot of you know people have accrued reputation over time you you could auto populate a, a court with people that you know base that have the right tokens that fit that it's like protein binding to a you know a neurochemical gate you know like you know this shape fits this set of things and all the markers are out there and it'll just kind of open and allow for that tension to be released and the decision to be made and the thing to keep moving. Nice, Yeller. Any any closing thoughts on like a uh, reputation and, and compensation and. Uh and uh <laughs> and avoiding dystopia mm. i've been uh diving into the david graber series of books from bullshit jobs to the dawn of everything and really just getting a lot of this historical context for like democratic voting systems or decentralized systems and i think it's really interesting to like see some of these new these like new ideas that are actually old ideas like coming back to life being resurfaced <laughs> where it's like we have so much knowledge that has actually been forgotten on this earth and in and, and the ways that the societies before us that have been around for long, long times functioned even longer than our existing really short-lived democratic system 
which is in some people's perspective, not even democratic at all, right? Because it is not equal selection of what's actually possible out there. They, they talked about doing a lo- random lottery voting where it's like, yeah, the real way you could get, you know, a democratically elected leaders is to like, use a lottery where everyone from anywhere can put in their token and they might get a chance to rule for a while. And I think about those kind of ways of structuring things, those kind of playful experiments where it's like, well, a lot's on the line, just throwing someone up. But like that person might be a better candidate for this than the specific, you know, people who have gone into politics and had all of these opportunities kind of funneled down the line to them because you get this very kind of slim selection, right, of people who are able to do that or have gone to the Ivy League schools. So I just think that the best thing that we can do is keep playing, keep experimenting, keep looking at what historical wisdom has been surfaced in the past and and people like David Graeber who are going deep into these topics and, and researching like there's so much good information experimentation out there and we can pick up on the threads of those things we can use that knowledge to improve our existing systems today but we have to stay open right we need to stop trying to solidify and firm up what the answer the question is and keep ourselves open to all possibilities to find a better path forward and to keep evolving because as we know humans evolve you said this specifically Drake. people change they evolve and they move forward and the systems that support those people need to change and evolve and move forward as well so that's my my last message is to stay open right keep playing keep experimenting absolutely and we can we can leave it there but yeah you're right there's a wealth there's actually such a wealth of like uh, stuff on organizational theory and cybernetics and the first paper that i saw on DAOs is actually from like 1995 it's actually called like none of this is new. So stop thinking that we read that we just invented everything and uh, actually read the literature. I guess that would be my closing statement. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Dow or Never. Make sure to subscribe at logos.xyz/podcast and follow us on Twitter at zero x logos so you never miss out on any of the latest happenings in the Dow world. It's Dow or never.